0: We love that song, we love the the sentiment of that, and that's actually the theme of the message today, the Lord is our salvation. Thank you, worship team, they actually debated between services as to whether or not they should come with their shoes off and uh, serve us in their stocking feet. Thank you for not doing that. (laughs) Notice the title, do you see what's up there? Five Things to Remember When You're Being Tossed Into a Fire. There is an assumption in that title that you are going to be tossed into a fire. It's not if you are tossed into a fire, it is when you are tossed into a fire. So let me just check my premise here to make sure that I'm right. How many of you have ever in your life ever experienced really difficult circumstances? Could I see your hands? Everybody raise your hand. Only the liars don't raise their hands. Thank you. That's, that's really true for all of us, isn't it? We all live in a fallen world among fallen people in which we struggle. There are challenges to our souls. There are circumstances that God ordains that are fire-like. Anybody remember 2020? <laughs> 2020 was a challenging year, wasn't it? shut down our international travel entirely. We didn't go one place outside the border of the United States during the entire calendar year of 2020. Isn't that interesting? Somebody said the only glimpse of happiness anyone got that year was if you went to the store and found toilet paper. (laughs) Someone said... The, uh, the, the uh, worst mistake anyone could make that year was to buy... The previous year was to buy a 2020 planning calendar, because everything got flushed. There was no planning for 2020. Now we're in 2022 already, and God has somehow brought us through all of that pandemic stuff, all of the masks, all of the social distancing, all of the things that happened during that very challenging year to our souls... And now here's the question, what's going to happen the rest of this year? Anybody know? The answer is yes. God knows. Aren't you glad? God knows exactly what he has in store for you and for me, and we're very thankful. Almost certainly what God has planned for us will include trouble, challenges, adversity, difficulties, stress, suffering, pain, turmoil, sorrow, and misery. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Nice, uplifting, encouraging, make-you-feel-good kind of sermon, right? This is what's going to happen. In other words, there will be fire, maybe not necessarily in the rest of this year, but coming. Coming to a life near you is going to be some very significant turmoil, very strong adversity, struggles of kinds that you and I can't yet imagine. It's coming. God loves you too much to leave you in your current state. And why is that going to happen? It's going to happen because you live in a fallen world in which you personally sin, and as a result of your personal sin, there is going to be personal struggle. A world in which you are sinned against, in other words, sometimes it's not your personal responsibility, the circumstances that God ordains, but you get the fallout and your heart must deal with the fallout of being sinned against or you suffer. And sometimes you suffer because of the decisions you make and suffer. sometimes you suffer simply because God has ordained suffering in your life. I spoke with a person between services and one of their friends recently got a difficult diagnosis which is going to indicate suffering and possibly homegoing in the days ahead. I don't know how God has ordained the future for you. I know that I will be, and you will be, tossed into a fire. And, we, and I think you know the story, don't you? You know the story of some guys that got tossed into a fire in the Old Testament? Say yes or no. You know that story? We're going to read that story in just a few minutes. That story is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in Daniel chapter 3, so if you haven't already, Based on the pastoral prayer earlier, please open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. These are three guys who had very significant trouble, although they did not sin. Quite the opposite. These guys had trouble specifically because they would not sin. They stood for what was right, and as a result, they had trouble. That could also be true in your life and my life. Let me give you just a little historical context before I read here is the whole panoply of the Old Testament story starting at creation. And this story fits in sometime after the splitting of the kingdom. So Saul, David, Solomon, the three kings of the United Empire, and then after the monarchy split under Solomon, there was exiles, ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. One went to Assyria, one, two tribes went to Babylon. And this takes place in that Babylonian captivity Period, in other words, somewhere around, we think maybe 536 to 530 BC. In other words, I just want to pause there for a second to say, in other words, here we are at Delaware Bible Church in 2022, thinking about, talking about, reading about something that took place 2,500 years ago and understanding that what happened all those years ago is relevant to us today. That's good news, isn't it? Don't ever let anybody tell you the Bible's an old book, an old musty tome written by people long dead that has no relevance to your life. That's not true. Because here we sit today thinking about what happened to three guys 2,500 years ago and then applying those lessons to our lives. The book of Daniel has as its major themes, overarching themes, God's sovereign control of history. We're going to see that in this story. And God's sovereign power through miracles, and we're going to see one of those in this story as well. Would you do this? Would you honor God's word with me by standing with me? And I'm going to read for you Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, for reference for those of you who do not know a cubit, roughly 18 inches, you can do the math, whose height was 60 cubits, its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, all the rest of those guys and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had stood up, verse four, and the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, pegpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship. The golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sounds of the various instruments, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped, and the golden, image, the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sounds of the various instruments shall fall down and worship the golden image, verse 11. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sounds of the various instruments to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not Serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Can you filled with fury. Go back to verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. Nebuchadnezzar clearly had an anger problem, don't you think? This guy needed biblical counseling for sure. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and these three men Shadrach Meshach and Abednego fell bound into the burning fiery furnace (sighs) aren't you glad that's not the end of the story good news that's not the end of the story Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, "But, but, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw... That the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. (laughs) The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God other than their own God. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Somebody say amen. Amen. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Please pray with me. Father, here we are in your house on your day, people who know and love you, people who desire for our lives to count for eternity, for your glory. And so here's my prayer, dear Father, as we have held your word in our hands as we have heard it read. Even so, Father, work in our hearts, quiet in these moments, not just our devices, but quiet our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us through your word, and help us, dear Father, to apply the principles of your word, this passage, to our lives now and in the days ahead. This I ask in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus, and for the sake of his glory. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated, please. Five lessons, five things to remember. You may want to jot these down someplace. Five things to remember when you're being tossed into the fire. Number one, God still exercises sovereign control. That's good news, isn't it? God exercised... Sovereign control in this circumstance, bringing this circumstance to this kind of a conclusion. God today still exercises sovereign control in your life and in mine. Think about this. If you leave here in a couple of minutes and you drive a mile and you have a flat tire, was God surprised? Say yes or no. Somehow, in the eternally wise plan of God, in fulfilling his eternal decrees, God has ordained that you should have that fat tire at that moment. It didn't catch God. Maybe it caught you by surprise. It didn't catch him by surprise. And your heart is going to have to react to that circumstance in that moment. Very interesting. I love this verse. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Somebody asked, Charles had Spurgeon at the end of a calendar year what he thought the new year might bring. He said, it will be what the divine purpose has ordained. That's that's exactly right. Do you know what's going to happen in the rest of 2022 and into 23 and in the years that succeed if the Lord allows us life and breath? The answer is it will be what the divine purpose has ordained. Because God is today patiently yet inexorably fulfilling his eternal decrees for his glory. This is the God we serve, sovereign in all that he does, including in this circumstance, which is kind of interesting because when you think about it, I mentioned before, in the sweep and scope of the Old Testament narrative, very interesting things had happened long before this, and you know them because you've studied your Bible. One of the things that's kind of interesting And one of the things where we could question the wisdom of god would be god after david after saul and david and then the splitting of the kingdom was it really necessary was it really best to have portions of your country of your people split and then taken captive into various foreign regimes is that really the best place the best way to demonstrate your glory What is God doing in a circumstance that seems to us to be weird, like unexpected, and maybe even damaging to God's own reputation? What God was doing was patiently, yet fulfilling his eternal decrees for his glory. He had his people in that bunch, personal enslavement was part of that, getting new names was part of that. In the earlier chapters of Daniel, The test concerning the food and whether or not they would defile themselves with the king's portions was part of that. And then, of course, the king's dreams that come later, this is also part of that. God is doing his sovereign work in ways that we do not expect. Look at the other side. Do you know what God has done in your life? So here's creation, and here's the culmination and here's the arc of human history and do you know what god has done he has made you and dropped you into his story for just a moment what does the bible say our lives are like a blade of grass right we pop up today we're gone tomorrow right think about this 60 70 80 even 100 years what is that compared to the sweep and scope of god's eternal plan not much We think that's a good, old, long life. Well, it is in human terms. But what God has done is dropped you into his story for a moment. For what purpose? We already know the purpose. God's told us the purpose. To bring him glory. That's the reason God made us. And so here we are attempting to fulfill that. And so that all of the parameters of your life and mine are fulfilling what he wants to have happen according to his sovereign plan. Isn't that good news? You can rest in that, by the way, that God is still in sovereign control of your life and all of the circumstances that you encounter. Here's number two. Your biblical convictions will be tested. It's quite a story here in Daniel 3, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar sets up the image, everybody has to bow down, these guys do not. It's very interesting to me, the way this uh, is said. Therefore, at that time, verse 8, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, well, they properly and appropriately, I don't know, it was in their heart, apparently malice, they maliciously, what they said about the Jews was actually true. They truthfully accused the Jews, but with horribly angry motives. These guys aren't doing what is expected of them in this culture, at this moment. Does that sound familiar? Your biblical convictions will be tested. Why? Because this is a focus of worship issue. It always is. I, I, if I think about this sometimes. People say, even Christians, why, did, why are we here? Why did God make us? And it's very, somebody, somebody is going to say, <clears throat> I think I know the answer to that. God was sitting in heaven one day, uh, eons ago, and God was kind of lonely. And so God thought, I think I'll make some people So I have some, thank you for shaking your head in in, in incredulity. Thank you very much, this guy. That's not true. God has a self-sustaining, self-fulfilling relationship with himself. Did you know that? God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need this world to exist. Did you hear me say? A self-fulfilling, self-satisfying relationship with himself. But God ordained that there should be a world and that he would populate it with people so that he would receive glory. That's exactly why God... made. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, this is kind of interesting. Think about this for a moment. Do you understand what happened in Genesis 1 and 2? The answer by the way is no we can read it in our bibles and we get an idea there was a man there was a woman they were walking in the cool of the day day with with god naked and unashamed they had uninterrupted unbroken fellowship they were innocent of sin at that point can we in our (laughs) minds at this point properly imagine what that would be like i say no because of the fallenness Of our minds. By the way, I don't think we can also fully appreciate what heaven's going to be like. We can read about that and we can get some ideas, but the glory of that, I think, is unsearchable for us. But here we are in Genesis 1 and 2, and God made these creatures to glorify him. But God also made other creatures, and one of those, the anointed cherub, decided at some point, I will be like the Most High. Do you know what that is? I know, the shorthand is sin. Do you know what that really is? That's a worship disorder. That that is the anointed cherub saying, I'm going to be God for me. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'll be in control of my life and whoever follows. I'm going to be God for me. And then, that being shows up in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3... And says to that first man and woman, You can be God for you. You can do whatever you want. You can cast off authority. You can get out from under the oppression of this God who will not allow you to eat from that one tree. You can be your own man, stand on your own two feet, do whatever you believe. You have your own life to live the theme of every Disney movie ever made. (coughs) It's humanism. You're in charge. You get to have your own life. You can be God for you. Boy, that appeals to me. I I really want to be in charge of my life. I I really want to determine what i do and what satisfies me and how i get pleasure and where i go and i that really appeal how about you does that appeal to you say yes it does i know it does because that's endemic that's the real pandemic it is all of us wanting to be god for ourselves It's a worship disorder. We we shortcut it and we say, What happened in Genesis chapter 3? Sin. Yep, sin for sure. Rebellion. Yep, that's part of it. It's a worship disorder that has traveled forward to this room on this day and the heart of every person listening to me or watching in the stream. So all of this has to do with worship. Number two, your biblical convictions will be tested. So, we're going to have to think about and think clearly about what's the difference between biblical convictions and personal preferences. This never came more sharply into focus than it did during the pandemic. When we had good, well-meaning, well-taught Christians on polar extremes of the things that we were at being asked to do in our cultures. We literally had good, faithful Christians saying, unless every single person is required to be masked all the time, I'm not coming back to church. And we also had people saying, I ain't wearing no stupid mask. I got my freedoms, man. You can't tell me what to do. And everything in between. You didn't have that around here, did you? So we better get busy thinking about the difference between convictions and preferences, and more importantly, we better get thinking about how you respond to Christians with different convictions and or preferences than you have. What do we do with those people who are wrong because they do not agree with me? Your biblical convictions will be tested. And wouldn't this be a wonderful time for me to go hog wild on all kinds of societal ills that are plaguing us these days and make some kind of radical political statements about all of the junk that's happening that's going to test our convictions? I will not do that. But I will say this. Your convictions on core biblical issues have been... And certainly in the days ahead, certainly will be tested. So we better come down and figure out what are our real convictions about some of this junk that we hear about in our cultural news feed, because your biblical convictions will certainly be tested. Here's number three. Sometimes you're safest in the fire. Fire. We're not going to bow down, king. Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you another chance. And the chance is when the instruments play, you bow down or you go in the fire. And the answer is, our God is able to save us if he decides to do that. And if he decides not to do that, if we are crispy critters, we're not going to bow down. We're just not going to do it. So sure enough, bind those, hey, hey, you guys get the fire hotter, seven times hotter the flames are licking, their way up there get that fire, get those guys bound let's throw them in the fire A couple of soldiers die on the way up the ramp to throw these guys into the fire and there are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego bound and in the fire and and the next part of this is pure conjecture on my part, I want you to know I, do you have a good imagination say yes or no I, sometimes my imagination runs wild. Is that okay? Here's what I think may have... It's not in the text. Please understand, this is just Wayne speculating. Here's what I think may have happened. First of all, almost immediately, the, the ropes burn off, and so these guys are, are unbound. And they're walking around. Now, the flames are really high and really thick, and and I don't know if they could see each other or not, but I think Shadrach says, Hey, Meshach, you over there? And Meshach says, yeah, right over here. He said, how you doing? Fine. Cool as a cucumber. No problem over here. But aren't there flames all around? Yes, there are. But I have no impact on me whatsoever. Uh, Abednego, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm over here in the other corner doing great. Everything is fine. And (laughs) And so somebody, maybe Meshach, has this bright idea. Hey, Shadrach, since... You know, since what the king wanted to have happen isn't happening, maybe we should just walk out of here. And Shadrach says, oh, no, 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 no. That king was furious with us for not bowing down to his stupid image, and if he wasn't mad enough before, he lost some good men throwing us in here. I ain't going out there. That part's not in the text. Did you get... they're walking around unbound because they're safest in the fire do you know that if God ordains fire for you you are safest in the fire Do you know what we want to do? We want to run away. Any touch of adversity, any little struggle, any little problem, I want comfort. I worship at the altar of comfort. Things should go my way. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be challenged in any way. I don't want to have difficult conversations. I'm going to get out. I'm going to run away from that circumstance. In my marriage, in my employment, even at the church, I'm going to run away. I'm going to get out of the circumstance because that's best. No, it's not. If God ordains that you should be in the fire in a difficult circumstance, God wants you, I'm sure, to learn whatever lessons are available to you only in the fire. Come to embrace. Come to enjoy the difficulties that God ordains for you and please see those trials as a gift from God's kind hand in your life. Sometimes you're safest in the fire. They certainly were. Uh, it was a time in my pastoral ministry, I don't think Scott mentioned, uh, I was there in Indiana. When he was there, I was a pastor for 32 years before we began the ministry of OIC in 2006. For 32 years before that, I was a pastor, and one of the things that happened in the early 80s, horribly difficult for us, was that we had, I explained to one of the guys that asked me after the first service, we had in our church a cadre of people involved in sexual immorality. So we began the disciplinary process. They were absolutely unrepentant and totally arrogant about this, and it ended up that we had to discipline them. Remove them from the membership of the church. In doing that, we declare them to be unbelievers. They were, of course, very quickly accepted by another church down the road, which they ruined. <laughs> These and, and my church went from about 150 on Sunday morning to 80 on Sunday morning in a Sunday. I was devastated by this. I was sure that I had completely failed as a pastor. I was very, very discouraged, possibly depressed. I wasn't functioning well as a result of that. And one of the remaining men came to me one Sunday morning and he said, Pastor, this is what I think we need to do. I think what we need to do is to get the remaining men together and have a kind of men's retreat. But just a weekend away, and I think what needs to happen is that we need to process what's happened in our church We need to think about it biblically. We need to think about what God has done in our church through this and in our lives and in our families through this. And pastor, instead of calling some outsider to come and teach us for that weekend, we think you should do it. Okay. So we did that and I got busy thinking about all of the passages that hint at The blessings that God can only give give us through trouble in our lives. I ended up with a list of 16 that I taught my men that week. Here's a few of them. First, adversity shifts your attention from yourself to God. You've got no place else to go when you're in serious trouble. Second, adversity reminds you of your weakness. I think I'm strong. I'm a man. I can handle this. I can figure it out. But sometimes I can't. And in bad circumstance, in my pastoral life, I was totally drained. Adversity motivates you to be aware of God's presence God's presence, you all know, the fear of the Lord is not afraidness. We taught our kids operational definitions of various biblical words and phrases. We taught them this, the fear of the Lord is the constant awareness that God is watching and evaluating everything I think, say, and do, and is rewarding or chastening me accordingly. The fear of the Lord is the constant awareness that God is watching and evaluating. The constant awareness. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is my moment by moment awareness that I live what they say in Latin, corum deo, before the face of God. There's never a moment when I escape his attention. And adversity brings back to me an awareness of the fear of the Lord. Adversity calls you to self-examination and exposes pride. It certainly did that in my own heart because before I had been afflicted, as the psalmist would say, I did walk in pride. I was so thankful that our church was growing. People were getting saved and baptized and our numbers were swelling And then this circumstance occurred, and the church was cut more than in half. And my vision of a pastoral career of glory, of growing this church so that someday a larger church would come and take me off their hands, and by the time I was 35, I'd probably be the pastor of some mega church someplace. All of that vanished. All of my pride crushed. And thank the Lord God used adversity to do it. And I went through all 16 of these lessons with our men that weekend. We cried a lot. I cried a lot. A couple of weeks later, the same man who had come to me asking that we get a way to process what God had done through adversity, came to me and said this. I'll never forget it. Pastor, I know it was difficult, but with all the blessings that God has brought into our lives, I can hardly wait for the next bit of trouble. I said, I can. <laughs> I'm not ready yet, for sure. God wants to work in the fire in your life. So how should you respond to the trouble? You maybe had this verse even pop into your heads while I was talking about, here's, here's the really rubber stamp, the very famous verse we jump right into this verse and rip it out of context and we use it for our own purposes to give ourselves comfort and i'm not sure that's the way it should be used but when you get home before you read or memorize again 1 Corinthians 10:13 read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 through verse 14 and get this embedded in its immediate context where Paul is talking about What happened to those faithless people out there in the wilderness thousands of years before, and what God did, and how they rebelled, and the punishment that God gave them. And in the context of all of those things, Paul says in verse 6 and in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 10 these things were written for your instruction, people of Corinth, people of Delaware, and surrounding communities. These things were written for your example so that you do not sin in the way that those people sinned back there in the wilderness. And then when he gets to verse 13, he says, No testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. You think you're the first one in human history that's faced the kind of circumstance you're facing? You are not. No testing. Has come upon you that is not common to man. Here's the most important part of the verse. It's not the end which we use to give ourselves fake comfort. The most important part of the verse is this phrase. Are you ready to say amen? God is faithful. That was your cue. Should we try again? God is faithful. He was faithful to those people back in the wilderness. He's faithful to you Corinthians right now. And he's faithful to you Delawarians, or whatever you call yourselves. Right now, God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tested beyond your ability, but he will with the testing provide the way of escape, which is endurance. The way of escape is not to get out from The way of escape is to go through. It's exactly what MacArthur says when he says the way out is through. You see, testing is like a tunnel. You know how to do it? You endure. How do you overcome testing? You endure through the testing. That's exactly what God wants you to do, and that's why we say, number three, sometimes you're safest in the fire. Here's number four. Number four is God uses fire to produce an environment for intimate fellowship with him. Old Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Didn't we, here it is, uh, didn't we throw three guys bound into the fire? I'm somewhere around 24. Yep, King, that's right, 25. But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the... God. Who was that? We're not going to settle that debate here on this, on this Sunday morning in this forum. A Christophany could be. An appearance of Christ could be. Later, Nebuchadnezzar himself calls him an angel. Could have been an angel. I don't know. It's a messenger of God for sure. We know that. Think about this. I'm in the fire. I'm fulfilling God's plan. I'm right where God wants me to be. I've got friends around me, which is good. And then what God sends is a messenger to encourage me further, to help me more. A messenger from God. I think I mentioned earlier what we do in our ministry, the ministry that you support so generously every month. Thank you for that. What we do is we train, why do we do that? Train pastors to use the Bible to help hurting people around the world. Why do we do that? Because when I was a kid, when I was in seminary, so that would be about 100 years ago, I guess, by now, something like that. When I was in seminary, I took all the normal things that you have to take in seminary. Hermeneutics, homiletics, apologetics, book studies, theology, all of that stuff. I took All of which is pointed at public ministry. You know what I didn't get? Not one course, not one minute of help in the private ministry of the word, the personal ministry of the word. What do you do when you're a pastor and people who are hurting, struggling, caught in life-dominating sins, or struggling in marriages? What do you do when struggling people with, who are struggling with depression or anxiety or some other thing, what do you do when they come to you as a pastor? I got no help on that whatsoever. And I thought, later, when I was a pastor, I had to run to get some training like that for myself, for my own soul, for my own ministry. And then I had this thought, if I didn't get that kind of training in my good conservative Bible-believing evangelical seminary from which I graduated, what hope is there that other pastors in other parts of the world who have much less robust theological training would get personal ministry training the answer is no hope whatsoever they did not they do not and that was the genesis of the idea of starting a ministry like this because when people are in the fire they need the messenger of god to come along and to give them god's truth and to minister to their souls and that's why we train pastors and other Christian leaders to do biblical sufficiency based soul care and we do it through our team around the world. I don't know how we got a picture of that actual event the the, the four guys there in the fire but I think what God was saying is may the fourth be with you I'm I'm not sure. I think that's what God was was trying to say. Number five. And here's the good news. God will deliver you unharmed. Isn't that good news? For these guys in the story, they came out, this is really interesting, had no power over their bodies specifically, no hairs were singed, their cloaks were not harmed, they didn't smell of fire. Ever been near a fire pit for a barbecue? You're cooking out, you're doing s'mores. Ever been near a fire? When you you go inside, right? Not these guys. They came out of a raging inferno and didn't even smell like fire. Amazing. They came out literally unharmed. But here's the other side, and they talked about this earlier. Um, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, but if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. In other words, God could have ordained that these three guys, standing on principle, standing on biblical conviction, would go into the fire and a few seconds later be nothing but ash. That could have happened. And do you know what the truth is? If they were at that moment ash, they would be unharmed because they'd be in heaven, wouldn't they? Think about this. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is you die, right? Is that so bad? What, is, what does it mean to die at this moment? It means glory. It means heaven. It be, it, were, were you like me when I was a young kid? I would, I would hear these stories about Jesus could return, and I would, I would always think, please, Lord, not yet. I want to at least get married. Did, did you sin like I sinned? Please, Lord, not yet. I want to have at least one child. I want the joy of being a father for a moment. And then you can come. Did you? And then all the way through my life, right? Now I'm old. You know, you know what I say now? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. This would be a good day for Jesus to come. But it turns out God isn't a Baptist, so we don't get to vote. The, the, did I say that out loud? I shouldn't have... The, he, The truth is, you know what Paul says? For me to live is Christ. For me to die is... For me to live is the joy of knowing Christ, representing Christ, preaching Christ, glorifying Christ through my travels, through my ministry. For me to live is Christ. Christ on earth, representing him. For me to die is more christ better christ personal christ i see him face to face i w- so this is good this is better right if i die today i will be unharmed i'll be whole i'll be home how about you God will deliver you unharmed. And what's the result of this testing? What should be the result of your testing? In this testing, God was glorified. Notice Nebuchadnezzar, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So we could ask the question, what will your future fires look like? That'd be kind of useless because we really don't know. So let's not ask that question. That's the wrong question to ask Here's a better question to ask. How will you bring glory to God through the trials he ordains in your life? That's the mission. The mission is to bring glory to God. How will you do that? Where is your worship focus? What do you think will bring satisfaction? What are you chasing? What do you really desire? And we know if it's anything other than The glory of God being seen in your life, this is a good time to repent. Let's bow together for prayer. And Father, this is my prayer for these folks. For me, for my life, for my heart. When I start chasing what makes me happy, crush me, send me fire. Get my attention back on you. Here's my prayer for these dear brothers and sisters, and even those who might be unsaved among us. Point our hearts toward you, for the believers. I pray that you would help us to understand our responsibility of bringing glory to you, to you in every circumstance of our life, and not be quick to run away from the fire you ordain. And for those that are unbelievers, I pray that you will help them to see and understand your goodness and sovereignty and the way that you operate in human history so that they might repent and accept Christ as their Savior today. All of this I ask in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus and for the sake of his glory alone. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.